In the Second War, the Allies saw the raid on Pearl Harbor as an act of unprovoked aggression. From the Japanese Emperor downwards, the Japanese people, by their treacherous attack on America and on Britain, have marked a day that will live in infamy. They held one man more responsible than anyone else, Japan's Prime Minister, General Tojo. Fellow countrymen, we must overturn the oppression of our enemies and exterminate Britain and America. He was the great Asian dictator, ranked alongside Hitler and Mussolini in an evil Axis trinity who planned to take over the world. After Japan's surrender, the Allies were ready to settle the score. 28 wartime leaders were unceremoniously delivered to a special court in Tokyo. The most prominent of the criminals, of course, is Japan's war premier, Tojo. He ordered the treacherous attack on Pearl Harbor and is finally responsible for unspeakable atrocities perpetrated by men under his command. Hitler and Mussolini had died in the turmoil of the last days of the war. With the world crying for vengeance, Tojo was a rare prize, a captured specimen, the beast of Tokyo at bay. The Allies blamed him for starting the war. The Japanese blamed him for losing it. After the closing statements in April, the verdicts weren't given till November 1948. Accused Tojo Hideki on the counts of the indictment on which you have been convicted the International Military Tribunal for the Far East sentences you to death by hanging. Six others were also sentenced to death. But unlike Nuremberg, the judgment was not unanimous. The French judge said the emperor should have been indicted. The Indian, Justice Powell, said aggressive war was not a crime under international law. The sentences were carried out 50 years ago, two days before Christmas 1948. I was apprehensive about it. The uh, theater executioner and his assistant, who was an officer there at the prison, they, they says, now you come on, come on, Jim, it'll be all right. What our duties were is when the prisoner was brought in and turned around on the trap. We pulled the uh, black hood over their head and then we took the noose and we put it over and <clears throat> snubbed it up against behind the ear and then stepped back. And there was a lever here that controlled the trap door and you stepped back and upon the command of the uh, of the theater executioner, we went forward with our lever and dropping the, the prisoner. The Americans took the bodies to a crematorium in Yokohama. Afterwards, they asked for the ashes to be handed over and scattered them so they could never be worshipped or revered but in that they failed. 
context of white supremacy, feeling like our mistress day is here. Woo! We are all done. Final audio segment on Philip K. Dix, the man in the high castle. Actually, let me do it correctly because it is the man and the high castle. All done. The book is not that long. Thank white Jesus. The audio segment that we heard at the beginning from the documentary, The Real Tojo. Now, the only reason that we got that, the reason that you <laughs> we had like an entire NBA professional basketball team worth of people say, hey, Gus T, let's read this here book. If you are enthused about a book generally, when you are reading and you run across a term that you don't know, hey, what is that? Tojo. Because that's what I did last week. Remember my Wi-Fi went out when we were during the middle of the live broadcast, audio segment number five for this book. And I came on and said, man, I don't have Wi-Fi. I can't even look that up. What is, what is Tojo? And a uh, retired firefighter had my back. He said, oh, that's Japanese general from World War II. They have entire documentaries about this guy. It's even I was even thinking afterwards, like, that is amazing that we are only, what, what is it, uh, about 80 years removed from these events and I mean World War II they talk about that what are they saying right now this might be World War Three, and everything that they're saying now to be not that far removed and I think most of us had no idea who Tojo is was uh, the significance anyway uh, that you heard from the documentary and I read the snippet from Dr. Gerald Horn repeatedly been a guest on the cows his book race war which is all about white supremacy racism uh, during World War II and specifically Japan their entire uh, involvement in that conflict being uh, really counter violence counter war uh, because they were already being subject to white supremacy racism way before Hiroshima. Anyway, I thought it was interesting uh, in that audio segment. And even you heard some of that in the audio. I had to translate a little bit because they have him speaking in Japanese uh, where he's saying that we have to exterminate them. That was he was even saying when they took him to the war court uh, where he was convicted and hanged. They lynched old Tojo passed the anti-lynching bill this week and they lynched him. Uh, but he said, I am innocent. I am not guilty because this was a war of self-defense. And that is all non-white people. We are operating from counter war, counter violence, the violence that is already being inflicted upon us. Uh, but that I just thought hugely important. And uh, for the time this book came out, 1962, I won't say everybody, but good gosh, I suspect a hefty chunk of the population. They would have known Tojo. And I read, in fact, that the name Tojo was used exactly as he used it in the book as a racist slur against so-called Asians. They had a number of reports. Again, this would have been like back in the 60s and stuff. You probably say Tojo now. What? What did he say? Toto. What did he say? What is that? Wizard of Oz? Is that what you're talking about? Like, you know, they don't know what you're talking about. But then it was exactly that. You old slant-eyed Tojo and Jap Tojo. Like, amazing. And, and that it would be the person that they say we're going to blame somebody for the war. Blame them for Pearl Harbor. It's you, Tojo. Like, wow. That's the person that Philip K. Dick would deliberately pick like when Tagomi, when he falls out of this alternate universe and falls into the real world 
you're not in charge and what do we think? Shut up, Tojo. Lynch you too. Come in here being uppity. Wow. Now imagine that that's what I mean about when you read a book, you gotta look things up. Because I mean, man, if you're just coasting by and read that, you don't know who Tojo is. Like, whoa. You will miss a lot. With that, we did not quite finish chapter 14 last week after uh, Mr. Tagami returned to this uh, fake universe where uh, Japan dominates half of the U.S. So we will finish chapter 14 and the remainder of the man in the high castle by Philip K. Dick. Context of white supremacy. One and done. Pedaling furiously, the pedicab driver moved out among the other cabs and cars. It was slightly before noon when Mr. Tagomi reached the Nippon Times building. From the main lobby, he instructed a switchboard operator to connect him with Mr. Ramsey upstairs. Tagomi here, he said when the connection was complete. Good morning, sir. I am relieved. Not seeing you, I apprehensively telephoned your home at ten o'clock, but your wife said that you had left for unknown parts. Mr. Tagomi said... Has the mess been cleared? No sign remains. Beyond dispute? My word, sir. Satisfied, Mr. Tagomi hung up and went to take the elevator. Upstairs, as he entered his office, he permitted himself a momentary search, rim of his vision. No sign, as was promised. He felt relief. No one would know who hadn't seen. Historicity bonded into nylon tile of floor. Mr. Ramsey met him inside. Your courage is topic for panegyric down below at the Times, he began. An article depicting... Making out Mr. Tagomi's expression, he broke off. Answer regarding pressing matters, Mr. Tagomi said. General Tadeki, that is, quantum Mr. Yatabi. On carefully obscure flight back to Tokyo, red herring strewn hither and yon. Mr. Ramsey crossed his fingers, symbolizing their hope. Please recount regarding Mr. Baines. I don't know. During your absence he appeared briefly, even furtively, but did not talk. Mr. Ramsey hesitated. Possibly he returned to Germany. Far better for him to go to the home islands, Mr. Tagomi said, mostly to himself. In any case, it was with the old general that their concern of important nature lay. And it is beyond my scope, Mr. Tagomi thought. Myself, my office. They made use of me here, which naturally was proper and good. I was their, what is it deemed? Their cover. I am a mask, concealing the real. Behind me, hidden, actuality goes on, safe from prying eyes. Odd, he thought. Vital sometimes to be merely cardboard front, like carton. Bit of Satori there, if I could lay hold of it. Purpose and overall scheme of illusion, could we but fathom. Law of economy, nothing is waste, even the unreal. What a sublimity in the process. Miss Afrikian appeared, her manner agitated. Mr. Tagomi, the switchboard sent me. Be cool, miss, Mr. Tagomi said. The current of time urges us along, he thought. Sir, the German consul is here. He wants to speak to you. She glanced from him to Mr. Ramsey and back, her face unnaturally pale. They say he was here in the building earlier, too, but they knew you... Mr. Tagomi waved her silent. Mr. Ramsey, please recollect for me the consul's name. Freiherr Hugo Rice, sir, 
Now I recall. Well, he thought, evidently Mr. Children did me a favor after all, by declining to re-accept the gun. Carrying his briefcase, he left his office and walked out into the corridor. There stood a slightly built, well-dressed white, close-cut orange hair, shiny black European leather Oxfords, erect posture, and a feminine ivory cigarette holder. No doubt he. Herr H. Rice, Mr. Tagomi said. The German bowed. Has been fact, Mr. Tagomi said, that you and I have in times past conducted business by mail, phone, etc., but never until now saw face to face. An honor, Herr Rice said, advancing toward him, even considering the irritating, distressing circumstances. I wonder, Mr. Tagomi said. The German raised an eyebrow. Excuse me, Tagomi said. My cognition hazed over due to those indicated circumstances. Frailty of clay-made substance, one might conclude. Awful, Herr Rice said. He shook his head. Then I first, Mr. Tagomi said, before you begin litany, let me speak. Certainly. I personally shot your two SD men, Mr. Tagomi said. The San Francisco Police Department summoned me, Herr Rice said, blowing offensive-smelling cigarette smoke around them both. For hours I've been down at the Kearney Street Station and at the morgue, and then I've been reading over the accounts your people gave to the investigated police inspectors. Absolutely dreadful, this, from start to finish. Mr. Tagomi said nothing. However, Herr Rice continued, the contention that the hoodlums are connected with the Reich hasn't been established. As far as I'm concerned, the whole matter is insane. I'm sure you acted absolutely properly, Mr. Togori. Togomi. My hand, the consul said, extending his hand. Let's shake a gentleman's agreement to drop this. It's unworthy, especially in these critical times when any stupid publicity might inflame the mob mind to the detriment of both our nation's interests. Guilt, nonetheless, is on my soul, Mr. Tagomi said. Blood, Herr Rice, can never be eradicated like ink. The consul seemed nonplussed. I crave forgiveness, Mr. Tagomi said. You cannot give it to me, though. Possibly no one can. I intend to read famous diary by Massachusetts ancient divine Goodman C. Mather. Deals, I am told, with guilt and hellfire at all. The consul smoked his cigarette rapidly, intently studying Mr. Tagomi. Allow me to notify you, Mr. Tagomi said, that your nation is about to descend into greater vileness than ever. You know the hexagram, the abyss? Speaking as a private person, not as a representative of Japan officialdom, I declare, heart sick with horror, bloodbath coming beyond all compare. Yet even now you strive for some slight egotistic gain or goal, Put one over on rival faction, the SD, eh? While you get Herr B. Kreutzvanir in hot water. He could not go on. His chest had become constricted, like childhood, he thought, asthma when angry at the old lady. I am suffering, he told Herr Rice, who had put out his cigarette now, of malady growing these long years, but which entered virulent from the day I heard, helplessly, your leader's escapades recited. Anyhow, therapeutic possibility, nil. For you too, sir, 
in language of Goodman C. Mather, if properly recalled. Repent! The German consul said huskily, Properly recalled. He nodded, lit a new cigarette with trembling fingers. From the office, Mr. Ramsey appeared. He carried a sheaf of forms and papers. To Mr. Tagomi, who stood silent, trying to get an unconstricted breath, he said, While he's here, routine matter having to do with his functionality. Reflexively, Mr. Tagomi took the forms held out. He glanced at them. Form 2050. Request by Reich through representative in PSA, Consul Freiherr Hugo Rice, for remand of felon now in custody of San Francisco Police Department. Jew, named Frank Fink, citizen, according to Reich's law, of Germany, retroactive June 1960, for protective custody under Reich's law, etc. He scanned it over once. Pen, sir, Mr. Ramsey said. That concludes business with German government this date. He eyed the consul with distaste as he held the pen to Mr. Tagomi. No, Mr. Tagomi said. He returned the 2050 form to Mr. Ramsey. Then he grabbed it back, scribbled on the bottom, Release, Ranking Trade Mission, SF Authority, V-Day Military Protocol, 1947, Tagomi. He handed one carbon to the German consul, the others to Mr. Ramsey, along with the original. Good day, Herr Reis. He bowed. The German consul bowed, too. He scarcely bothered to look at the paper. Please conduct future business through immediate machinery, such as mail, telephone, cable, Mr. Tagomi said. Not personally. The consul said, You're holding me responsible for general conditions beyond my jurisdiction. Chicken shit, Mr. Tagomi said. I say that to that. This is not the way civilized individuals conduct business, the consul said. You're making this all bitter and vindictive, where it ought to be mere formality with no personality embroiled. He threw his cigarette onto the corridor floor, then turned and strode off. Take foul, stinking cigarette along, Mr. Tagomi said weakly, but the consul had turned the corner. Childish conduct by self, Mr. Tagomi said to Mr. Ramsey. You witnessed repellent childish conduct. He made his way unsteadily back into his office. No breath at all now. A pain flowed down his left arm, and at the same time a great open palm of hand flattened and squashed his ribs. Oof, he said. Before him, no carpet, but merely shower of sparks, rising red. Help, Mr. Ramsey, he said, but no sound. Please, he reached out, stumbled, nothing to catch even. As he fell, he clutched within his coat the silver triangle thing Mr. Children had urged on him. Did not save me, he thought. Did not help. All that endeavor. His body struck the floor, hands and knees, gasping, the carpet at his nose, Mr. Ramsey now rushing about, bleating. Keep equipoise, Mr. Tagomi thought. I'm having a small heart attack, Mr. Tagomi managed to say. Several persons were involved now, transporting him to couch. Be calm, sir. One was telling him. Notify wife, please, Mr. Tagomi said. Presently he heard ambulance noises, wailing from street, plus much bustle, people coming and going. A blanket was put over him, up to his armpits, tie removed, collar loosened. Better now, Mr. Tagomi said. 
He lay comfortably, not trying to stir. Career over anyhow, he decided. German consul no doubt raised row higher up, complain about incivility. Right to so complain, perhaps. Anyhow, work done. As far as I can, my part. Rest up to Tokyo and factions in Germany. Struggle beyond me in any case. I thought it was merely plastics, he thought. Important mold salesman. Oracle guessed and gave clue, but... Remove his shirt, a voice stated. No doubt building's physician. Highly authoritative tone. Mr. Tagomi smiled. Tone is everything. Could this, Mr. Tagomi wondered, be the answer? Mystery of body organism, its own knowledge? Time to quit, or time partially to quit. A purpose which I must acquiesce to. What had the oracle last said? To his query in the office as those two lay dying or dead. Sixty-one. Inner truth. Pigs and fishes are least intelligent of all, hard to convince. It is I. The book means me. I will never fully understand. That is the nature of such creatures. Or is this inner truth now, this that is happening to me? I will wait. I will see which it is. Perhaps it is both. That evening, just after the dinner meal, a police officer came to Frank Frink's cell, unlocked the door, and told him to go pick up his possessions at the desk. Shortly he found himself out on the sidewalk before the Kearney Street station, among the many passers-by hurrying along, the buses and honking cars and yelling pedicab drivers. The air was cold. Long shadows lay before each building. Frank Frink stood a moment, and then he fell automatically in with a group of people crossing the street at the crosswalk zone. Arrested for no real reason, he thought. No purpose. And then they let me go the same way. They had not told him anything, had simply given him back his sack of clothes, wallet, watch, glasses, personal articles, and turned to their next business, an elderly drunk brought in off the street. Miracle, he thought, that they let me go. Fluke of some kind. By rights, I should be on a plane heading for Germany for extermination. He could still not believe it. Either part, the arrest and now this. Unreal. He wandered along past the closed-up shops, stepping over debris blown by the wind. New life, he thought. Like being reborn. Like hell. Is. Who do I thank? Pray, maybe? Pray to what? I wish I understood, he said to himself as he moved along the busy evening sidewalk by the neon signs, the blaring bar doorways of Grant Avenue. I want to comprehend. I have to but he knew he never would. Just be glad, he thought, and keep moving. A bit of his mind declared, and then back to Ed. I have to find my way back to the workshop, down there in that basement, pick up where I left off, making the jewelry, using my hands, working and not thinking, not looking up or trying to understand. I must keep busy. I must turn the pieces out. Block by block he hurried through the darkening city, struggling to get back as soon as possible to the fixed, comprehensible place he had been. When he got there, he found Ed McCarthy seated at the bench, eating his dinner. Two sandwiches, a thermos of tea, a banana, several cookies. Frank Frink stood in the doorway, gasping. At last, Ed heard him and turned around. I had the impression you were dead, he said. He chewed, swallowed rhythmically, took another bite. By the bench, Ed had their little electric heater going. 
Frank went over to it and crouched down, warming his hands. Good to see you back, Ed said. He banged Frank twice on the back, then returned to his sandwich. He said nothing more. The only sounds were the whir of the heater fan and Ed's chewing. Laying his coat over a chair, Frank collected a handful of half-completed silver segments and carried them to the arbor. He screwed a wool buffing wheel onto the spindle, started up the motor. He dressed the wheel with bobbing compound, put on the mask to protect his eyes, and then, seated on a stool, began removing the fire scale from the segments, one by one. Chapter 15 Captain Rudolf Wegener, at the moment traveling under the cover name Conrad Goltz, a dealer in medical supplies on a wholesale basis, peered through the window of the Lufthansa ME-9E rocket ship. Europe ahead. How quickly, he thought. We will be landing at Tempelhoferfeld in approximately seven minutes. I wonder what I accomplished, he thought as he watched the landmass grow. It's up to General Tadecki now. Whatever he can do in the home islands. But at least we got the information to them. We did what we could. He thought, but there is no reason to be optimistic. Probably the Japanese can do nothing to change the course of German internal politics. The Goebbels government is in power and probably will stand. After it is consolidated, it will turn once more to the notion of dandelion, and another major section of the planet will be destroyed, with its population, for a deranged fanatic ideal. Suppose eventually they, the Nazis, destroy it all, leave it a sterile ash. They could. They have the hydrogen bomb, and no doubt they would. Their thinking tends toward that Gotadamarung. They may well crave it, be actively seeking it, a final holocaust for everyone. And what will that leave, that third world insanity? Will that put an end to all life of every kind, everywhere, when our planet becomes a dead planet by our own hands? He could not believe that. Even if all life on our planet is destroyed, there must be other life somewhere which we know nothing of. It is impossible that ours is the only world. There must be world after world unseen by us, in some region or dimension that we simply do not perceive. Even though I can't prove that, even though it isn't logical, I believe it, he said to himself. A loudspeaker said, Mein Damen und Herren, Achtung bitte! We are approaching the moment of landing, Captain Wegner said to himself. I will almost surely be met by the Seikerheitsdienst. The question is, which faction of policy will be represented? The Goebbels or the Heydrich? Assuming that SS General Heydrich is still alive. While I have been aboard this ship, he could have been rounded up and shot. Things happen fast during the time of transition in a totalitarian society. There have been, in Nazi Germany, tattered lists of names over which men have poured before. Several minutes later, when the rocket ship had landed, he found himself on his feet, moving toward the exit with his overcoat over his arm. Behind him and ahead of him, anxious passengers. No young Nazi artist this time, he reflected. No Lotze to badger me at the last with his moronic viewpoint. An airline's uniformed official, dressed, Wegner observed, like the Reichsmarschall himself, assisted them all down the ramp, one by one, to the field. There, by the concourse, stood a small knot of black shirts. For me? Wegner began to walk slowly from the parked rocket ship. Over at another spot, men and women waiting, waving, calling, even some children. One of the black shirts, a flat-faced, unwinking blonde fellow, wearing the Waffen-SS insignia, 
stepped smartly up to Wegener, clicked the heels of his jackboots together, and saluted. Ich bitte mich zu entschuldigen. Sind Sie nicht Kapitän Rudolf Wegener von der Abwehr? Sorry, Wegener answered. I am Conrad Goltz, representing A.G. Kemikerian Medical Supplies. He started on past. Two other black shirts, also Waffen SS, came toward him. The three of them fell in beside him, so that although he continued on at his own pace, in his own direction, he was quite abruptly and effectively under custody. Two of the Waffen SS men had submachine guns under their greatcoats. You are Wegner, one of them said as they entered the building. He said nothing. We have a car, the Waffen SS man continued. We are instructed to meet your rocket ship, contact you, and take you immediately to SS General Heydrich, who is with Sef Dietrich at the OKW of the Leibstandart Division. In particular, we are not to permit you to be approached by Wehrmacht or Partei persons. Then I will not be shot, Wegner said to himself. Heydrich is alive and in a safe location, and trying to strengthen his position against the Goebbels government. Maybe the Goebbels government will fall after all, he thought, as he was ushered into the waiting SS Daimler staff sedan. A detachment of Waffen-SS suddenly shifted at night. Guards at the Reichskanzlei relieved, replaced. The Berlin police station suddenly spewing forth armed SD men in every direction. Radio stations in power cut off. Tempelhofer closed. Rumble of heavy guns in the darkness along main streets. But what does it matter? Even if Dr. Goebbels is deposed and Operation Dandelion is cancelled, they will still exist, the black shirts, the partai, the schemes, if not in the Orient, then somewhere else, on Mars and Venus. No wonder Mr. Tagomi could not go on, he thought. The terrible dilemma of our lives. Whatever happens, it is evil beyond compare. Why struggle, then? Why choose, if all alternatives are the same? Evidently, we go on as we always have, from day to day. At this moment, we work against Operation Dandelion. Later on, at another moment, we work to defeat the police. But we cannot do it all at once. It is a sequence, an unfolding process. We can only control the end by making a choice at each step. He thought, we can only hope and try. On some other world, possibly it is different, better, there are clear good and evil alternatives, not these obscure admixtures, these blends, with no proper tool by which to untangle the components. We do not have the ideal world, such as we would like, where morality is easy because cognition is easy, where one can do right with no effort because he can detect the obvious. The Daimler started with Captain Wegner in the back, a black shirt on each side, machine gun on lap, black shirt behind the wheel. Suppose it is a deception even now, Wegner thought as the sedan moved at high speed through Berlin traffic. They are not taking me to SS General Heydrich at the Leibstandart Division OKW. They are taking me to a party jail, there to maim me and finally kill me. But I have chosen. I chose to return to Germany. I chose to risk capture before I could reach other people and protection. Death at each moment. One avenue which is open to us at any point and eventually we choose it in spite of ourselves, or we give up and take it deliberately. He watched the Berlin houses pass. My own folk, he thought, you and I again together. To the three SS men he said, How are things? 
Any recent developments in the political situation? I've been away for several weeks, before Borman's death, in fact. The man to his right answered, There's naturally plenty of hysterical mob support for the little doctor. It was the mob that swept him into office. However, it's unlikely that when more sober elements prevail, they'll want to support a cripple and demagogue who depends on inflaming the mass with his lies and spellbinding. I see, Wegner said. It goes on, he thought. The internecine hate. Perhaps the seeds are there, in that. They will eat one another at last, and leave the rest of us here and there in the world still alive, still enough of us once more to build and hope and make a few simple plans. At one o'clock in the afternoon, Juliana Frink reached Cheyenne, Wyoming. In the downtown business section, across from the enormous old train depot, she stopped at a cigar store and bought two afternoon newspapers. Parked at the curb, she searched until she at last found the item. Vacation ends in fatal slashing. Sought for questioning concerning the fatal slashing of her husband in their swank rooms at the President Garner Hotel in Denver, Mrs. Joe Sinadella of Cannon City, according to hotel employees, left immediately after what must have been the tragic climax of a marital quarrel. Razor blades found in the room, ironically supplied as a convenience by the hotel to its guests, apparently were used by Mrs. Sinadella, described as dark, attractive, well-dressed and slender, about thirty, to slash the throat of her husband, whose body was found by Theodore Ferris, hotel employee who had picked up shirts from Sinadella just half an hour earlier, and was returning them, as instructed, only to come onto the grisly scene. The hotel suite, police said, showed signs of struggle, suggesting that a violent argument had... So he's dead, Juliana thought as she folded up the newspaper. And not only that, they don't have my name right. They don't know who I am or anything about me. Much less anxious now, she drove on until she found a suitable motel. There she made arrangements for a room and carried her possessions in from the car. From now on I don't have to hurry, she said to herself. I can even wait until evening to go to the Abinsons. That way I'll be able to wear my new dress. It wouldn't do to show up during the day with it on. You just don't wear a formal dress like that before dinner. And I can finish reading the book. She made herself comfortable in the motel room, turning on the radio, getting coffee from the motel lunch counter. She propped herself up on the neatly made bed with a new unread, clean copy of the grasshopper, which she had bought at the hotel bookshop in Denver. At 6.15 in the evening, she finished the book. I wonder if Joe got to the end of it, she wondered. There's so much more in it than he understood. What is it Abinson wanted to say? Nothing about his make-believe world. Am I the only one who knows? I'll bet I am. Nobody else really understands Grasshopper but me. They just imagine they do. Still a little shaky, she put it away in her suitcase and then put on her coat and left the motel room to search for a place to eat dinner. The air smelled good, and the signs and lights of Cheyenne seemed particularly exciting. In front of a bar, two pretty, black-eyed Indian prostitutes quarreling, she slowed to watch. Many cars, shiny ones, coasted up and down the streets. The entire spectacle had an aura of brightness and expectancy, of looking ahead to some happy and important event, rather than back. Back, she thought, to the stale and the dreary, the used-up, and thrown away. At an expensive French restaurant, where a man in a white coat parked customers' cars, and each table had a candle burning in a huge wine goblet, and the butter was served not in squares but whipped into round, pale marbles, she ate a dinner which she enjoyed, 
and then, with plenty of time to spare, strolled back toward her motel. The Reich banknotes were almost gone, but she did not care. It had no importance. He told us about our own world, she thought, as she unlocked the door to her motel room. This, what's around us now. In the room, she again switched on the radio. He wants us to see it for what it is. And I do, and more so each moment. Taking the blue Italian dress from its carton, she laid it out scrupulously on the bed. It had undergone no damage. All it needed at most was a thorough brushing to remove the lint. But when she opened the other parcels, she discovered that she had not brought any of the new half-bras from Denver. God damn it, she said, sinking down in a chair. She lit a cigarette and sat smoking for a time. Maybe she could wear it with a regular bra. She slipped off her blouse and skirt and tried the dress on, but the straps of the bra showed, and so did the upper part of each cup, so that would not do. Or maybe, she thought, I can go with no bra at all. It had been years since she had tried that. It recalled to her the old days in high school, when she had had a very small bust. She had even worried about it then. But now, further maturity and her judo had made her a size 38. However, she tried it without the bra, standing on a chair in the bathroom to view herself in the medicine cabinet mirror. The dress displayed itself stunningly, but good Lord, it was too risky. All she had to do was bend over to put out a cigarette or pick up a drink, and disaster. A pin! She could wear the dress with no bra and collect the front. Dumping the contents of her jewelry box onto the bed, she spread out the pins, relics which she had owned for years, given her by Frank or by other men before their marriage, and the new one which Joe had gotten her in Denver. Yes, a small horse-shaped silver pin from Mexico would do. She found the exact spot. So she could wear the dress after all. I'm glad to get anything now, she thought to herself. So much had gone wrong. So little remained, anyhow, of the wonderful plans. She did an extensive brushing job on her hair so that it crackled and shone, and that left only the need of a choice of shoes and earrings. And then she put on her new coat, got her new handmade leather purse, and set out. Instead of driving the old Studebaker, she had the motel owner phone for a taxi. While she waited in the motel office, she suddenly had the notion to call Frank. Why it had come to her, she could not fathom, but there the idea was. Why not? she asked herself. She could reverse the charges. He would be overwhelmed to hear from her and glad to pay. Standing behind the desk in the office, she held the phone receiver to her ear, listening delightedly to the long-distance operators talk back and forth trying to make the connection for her. She could hear the San Francisco operator, far off, getting San Francisco information for the number, then many pops and crackles in her ear, and at last the ringing noise itself. As she waited, she watched for the taxi, it should be along any time, she thought. But it won't mind waiting. They expect it. Your party does not answer, the Cheyenne operator told her at last. We will put the call through again later, and... No, Juliana said, shaking her head. It had been just a whim, anyhow. I won't be here. Thank you. She hung up. The motel owner had been standing nearby to see that nothing would be mistakenly charged to him and walked quickly out of the office, onto the cool, dark sidewalk, to stand and wait there. From the traffic, a gleaming new cab coasted up to the curb and halted. The door opened, and the driver hopped out to hurry around. A moment later, Juliana was on her way, riding in luxury in the rear of the cab, across Cheyenne to the Abinsons. The Abinson house was lit up, and she could hear music and voices. 
It was a single-story stucco house with many shrubs and a good deal of garden made up mostly of climbing roses. As she started up the flagstone path, she thought, Can I actually be there? Is this the high castle? What about the rumors and stories? The house was ordinary, well-maintained, and the grounds tended. There was even a child's tricycle parked in the long cement driveway. Could it be the wrong Abinson? She had gotten the address from the Cheyenne phone book, but it matched the number she had called the night before from Greeley. She stepped up onto the porch with its wrought iron railings and pressed the buzzer. Through the half-open door she could make out the living room, a number of persons standing about, Venetian blinds on the windows, a piano, fireplace, bookcases. Nicely furnished, she thought. A party going on? But they were not formally dressed. A boy, tousled, about thirteen, wearing a T-shirt and jeans, flung the door wide. Yes? She said, Is Mr. Abinson home? Is he busy? Speaking to someone behind him in the house, the boy called, Mom, she wants to see Dad. Beside the boy appeared a woman with reddish-brown hair, possibly thirty-five, with strong, unwinking gray eyes, and a smile so thoroughly competent and remorseless that Juliana knew she was facing Carolyn Abinson. I called last night, Juliana said. Oh, yes, of course. Her smile increased. She had perfect white regular teeth. Irish, Juliana decided. Only Irish blood could give that jawline such femininity. Let me take your purse and coat. This is a very good time for you. These are a few friends. What a lovely dress. It's House of Cherubini, isn't it? She led Juliana across the living room to a bedroom where she laid Juliana's things with the others on the bed. My husband is around somewhere. Look for a tall man with glasses, drinking an old-fashioned. The intelligent light in her eyes poured out to Juliana. Her lips quivered. There is so much understood between us, Juliana realized. Isn't that amazing? I drove a long way, Juliana said. Yes, you did. Now I see him. Carolyn Adminson guided her back into the living room, toward a group of men. Dear, she called, come over here. This is one of your readers who is very anxious to say a few words to you. One man of the group moved, detached, and approached, carrying his drink. Juliana saw an immensely tall man with black curly hair. His skin, too, was dark, and his eyes seemed purple or brown, very softly colored behind his glasses. He wore a hand-tailored, expensive, natural-fiber suit, perhaps English wool. The suit augmented his wide, robust shoulders with no lines of its own. In all her life she had never seen a suit quite like it. She found herself staring in fascination. Carolyn said, Mrs. Frink drove all the way up from Cannon City, Colorado, just to talk to you about Grasshopper. I thought you lived in a fortress, Juliana said. Bending to regard her, Hawthorne Abinson smiled a meditative smile. Yes, we did, but we had to get up to it in an elevator, and I developed a phobia. I was pretty drunk when I got the phobia, but as I recall it, and they tell it, I refused to stand up in it because I said that the elevator cable was being hauled up by Jesus Christ and we were going all the way, and I was determined not to stand. She did not understand. Carolyn explained, Hoth has said as long as I've known him that when he finally sees Christ he is going to sit down, he's not going to stand. The hymn, Juliana remembered. 
So you gave up the high castle and moved back into town? She said. I'd like to pour you a drink, Hawthorne said. All right, she said, but not an old-fashioned. She had already got a glimpse of the sideboard with several bottles of whiskey on it, hors d'oeuvres, glasses, ice, mixer, cherries, and orange slices. She walked toward it, Abinson accompanying her. Just I.W. Harper over ice, she said. I always enjoy that. Do you know the Oracle? No, Hawthorne said as he fixed her drink for her. Astounded, she said. The Book of Changes? I don't know, he repeated. He handed her her drink. Carolyn Abinson said, Don't tease her. I read your book, Juliana said. In fact, I finished it this evening. How did you know all that about the other world you wrote about? Hawthorne said nothing. He rubbed his knuckle against his upper lip, staring past her and frowning. Did you use the oracle? Juliana said. Hawthorne glanced at her. I don't want you to kid or joke, Juliana said. Tell me without making something witty out of it. Chewing his lip, Hawthorne gazed down at the floor. He wrapped his arms about himself, rocked back and forth on his heels. The others in the room nearby had become silent, and Juliana noticed that their manner had changed. They were not happy now because of what she had said. But she did not try to take it back or disguise it. She did not pretend. It was too important. And she had come too far and done too much to accept anything less than the truth from him. That's, uh... A hard question to answer, Abinson said finally. No, it isn't, Juliana said. Now everyone in the room had become silent. They all watched Juliana standing with Carolyn and Hawthorne Abinson. I'm sorry, Abinson said. I can't answer right away. You'll have to accept that. Then why did you write the book, Juliana said. Indicating with his drink glass, Abinson said... What's that pin on your dress do? Ward off dangerous animus spirits of the immutable world? Or does it just hold everything together? Why do you change the subject? Juliana said. Evading what I asked you and making a pointless remark like that. It's childish. Hawthorne Abinson said. Everyone has technical secrets. You have yours, I have mine. You should read my book and accept it on face value, just as I accept what I see. Again, he pointed at her with his glass. Without inquiring if it's genuine underneath, there, or done with wires and staves and foam rubber padding, isn't that part of trusting in the nature of people and what you see in general? He seemed, she thought, irritable and flustered now, no longer polite, no longer a host. And Carolyn, she noticed out of the corner of her eye, had an expression of tense exasperation. Her lips were pressed together, and she had stopped smiling entirely. In your book, Juliana said, you show that there's a way out. Isn't that what you meant? Out, he echoed ironically. Juliana said, You've done a lot for me. Now I can see there's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to want or hate or avoid here or run from or pursue. He faced her, jiggling his glass, studying her. There's a great deal in this world worth the candle, in my opinion. I understand what's going on in your mind, Juliana said. 
To her, it was the old and familiar expression on a man's face, but it did not upset her to see it here. She no longer felt as she once had. The Gestapo file said you were attracted to women like me. Abinson, with only the slightest change of expression, said, There hasn't been a Gestapo since 1947. The SD, then, or whatever it is. Would you explain? Carolyn said in a brisk voice. I want to, Juliana said. I drove up to Denver with one of them. They're going to show up here eventually. You should go someplace they can't find you, instead of holding open house here like this, letting anyone walk in the way I did. The next one who rides up here, there won't be anyone like me to put a stop to him. You say the next one, Abinson said after a pause. What became of the one you rode up to Denver with? Why won't he show up here? She said, I cut his throat. That's quite something, Hawthorne said. To have a girl tell you that, a girl you never saw before in your life. Don't you believe me? He nodded. Sure. He smiled at her in a shy, gentle, forlorn way. Apparently, it did not even occur to him not to believe her. Thanks, he said. Please hide from them, she said. Well, he said, we did try that, as you know, as you read on the cover of the book, about all the weapons and charged wire, and we had it written so it would seem we're still taking great precautions. His voice had a weary, dry tone. You could at least carry a weapon, his wife said. I know someday someone you invite in and converse with will shoot you down, some Nazi expert paying you back, and you'll be philosophizing just this way. I foresee it. They can get you, Hawthorne said, if they want to, charged wire and high castle or not. You're so fatalistic, Juliana thought, resigned to your own destruction. Do you know that, too, the way you knew the world in your book? Juliana said, The Oracle wrote your book, didn't it? Hawthorne said, Do you want the truth? I want it and I'm entitled to it, she answered, for what I've done. Isn't that so? You know it's so. The Oracle, Abinson said, was sound asleep all through the writing of the book, sound asleep in the corner of the office. His eyes showed no merriment. Instead, his face seemed longer, more somber than ever. Tell her, Carolyn said. She's right. She's entitled to know for what she did on your behalf. To Juliana, she said, I'll tell you then, Mrs. Frink. One by one, Hoth made the choices, thousands of them, by means of the lines, historic period, subject, characters, plot. It took years. Hoth even asked the Oracle what sort of success it would be. It told him that it would be a very great success, the first real one of his career. So you were right. You must use the Oracle quite a lot yourself to have known. Juliana said, I wonder why the Oracle would write a novel. Did you ever think of asking it that? And why one about the Germans and the Japanese losing the war? Why that particular story and no other one? What is there it can't tell us directly like it always has before? This must be different, don't you think? Neither Hawthorne nor Carolyn said anything. It and I, Hawthorne said at last, long ago arrived at an agreement regarding royalties. 
If I ask it why it wrote Grasshopper, I'll wind up turning my share over to it. The question implies I did nothing but the typing, and that's neither true nor decent. I'll ask it, Carolyn said, if you won't. It's not your question to ask, Hawthorne said. Let her ask. To Juliana, he said, You have an unnatural mind. Are you aware of that? Juliana said, Where's your copy? Mine's in my car back at the motel. I'll get it if you won't let me use yours. Turning, Hawthorne started off. She and Carolyn followed through the room of people toward a closed door. At the door, he left them. When he re-emerged, they all saw the black-backed twin volumes. I don't use the yarrow stocks, he said to Juliana. I can't get the hang of them. I keep dropping them. Juliana seated herself at a coffee table in the corner. I have to have a paper to write on and a pencil. One of the guests brought her paper and pencil. The people in the room moved in to form a ring around her and the Abinsons, listening and watching. You may say the question aloud, Hawthorne said. We have no secrets here. Juliana said, Oracle, why did you write The Grasshopper Lies Heavy? What are we supposed to learn? You have a disconcertingly superstitious way of phrasing your question, Hawthorne said, but he had squatted down to witness the coin-throwing. Go ahead, he said. He handed her three Chinese brass coins with holes in the center. I generally use these. She began throwing the coins. She felt calm and very much herself. Hawthorne wrote down her lines for her. When she had thrown the coins six times, he gazed down and said, Sun at the top, Tui at the bottom, empty in the center. Do you know what hexagram that is? she said, without using the chart. Yes, Hawthorne said. It's Chung Fu, Juliana said. Inner truth. I know without using the chart, too. And I know what it means. Raising his head, Hawthorne scrutinized her. He had now an almost savage expression. It means, does it, that my book is true? Yes, she said. With anger, he said, Germany and Japan lost the war. Yes. Hawthorne then closed the two volumes and rose to his feet. He said nothing. Even you don't face it. Juliana said. For a time he considered. His gaze had become empty, Juliana saw. Turned inward, she realized. Preoccupied by himself. And then his eyes became clear again. He grunted, started. I'm not sure of anything, he said. Believe, Juliana said. He shook his head no. Can't you? She said. Are you sure? Hawthorne Abinson said, Do you want me to autograph a copy of the grasshopper for you? She, too, rose to her feet. I think I'll go, she said. Thank you very much. I'm sorry if I disrupted your evening. It was kind of you to let me in. Going past him and Carolyn, she made her way through the ring of people, from the living room and into the bedroom where her coat and purse were. As she was putting her coat on, Hawthorne appeared behind her. Do you know what you are? 
He turned to Carolyn, who stood beside him. This girl is a daemon, a little Catholic spirit that... He lifted his hand and rubbed his eyebrow, partially dislodging his glasses in doing so. That roams tirelessly over the face of the earth. He restored his glasses in place. She's doing what's instinctive to her, simply expressing her being. She didn't mean to show up here and do harm. It simply happened to her, just as the weather happens to us. I'm glad she came. I'm not sorry to find this out, this revelation she's had through the book. She didn't know what she was going to do here or find out. I think we're all of us lucky. So let's not be angry about it, okay? Carolyn said, She's terribly, terribly disruptive. So is reality, Hawthorne said. He held out his hand to Juliana. Thank you for what you did in Denver, he said. She shook hands with him. Good night, she said. Do as your wife says. Carry a hand weapon at least. No, he said. I decided that a long time ago. I'm not going to let it bother me. I can lean on the oracle now and then if I do get edgy, late at night in particular. It's not bad in such a situation. He smiled a little. Actually, the only thing that bothers me anymore is knowing that all these bums standing around here listening and taking in everything are drinking up all the liquor in the house while we're talking. Turning, he strode away, back to the sideboard to find fresh ice for his drink. Where are you going, now that you've finished here? Carolyn said. I don't know. The problem did not bother her. I must be a little like him, she thought. I won't let certain things worry me, no matter how important they are. Maybe I'll go back to my husband, Frank. I tried to phone him tonight. I might try again. I'll see how I feel later on. Despite what you did for us, or what you say you did, you wish I had never come into this house, Juliana said. If you saved Hawthorne's life, it's dreadful for me. But I'm so upset, I can't take it all in, what you've said and Hawthorne has said. How strange, Juliana said. I never would have thought the truth would make you angry. Truth, she thought, as terrible as death, but harder to find. I'm lucky. I thought you'd be as pleased and excited as I am. It's a misunderstanding, isn't it? She smiled, and after a pause, Mrs. Abinson managed to smile back. Well, good night, anyhow. A moment later, Juliana was retracing her steps back down the flagstone path, into the patches of light from the living room, and then into the shadows beyond the lawn of the house, onto the black sidewalk. She walked on without looking again at the Abinson house, and as she walked, searching up and down the streets for a cab or a car, moving and bright and living, to take her back to her motel. This concludes the reading of The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. Copyright 1962 by Philip K. Dick. Copyright renewed 1990 by Laura Coelho, Christopher Dick, and Issa Dick. This book was read by Tom Weiner. Context of White Supremacy. Uh, Mr. Weiner, uh, that is pretty impressive because that's like a lot of uh, different characters and different languages to have to produce impressive work from uh, Mr. Weiner and we are all done we don't even have a second audio segment today 
Bang! Moving on to a new book picked by Gus T. Next week. Uh, so thankful this book was not long, even though I did enjoy reading the book personally, but whoo, it is so extraordinarily fantastically lame <laughs> to be reading a book, uh, a book club, ostensibly with others, where people picked this book a full NBA basketball team roster worth of folks picked this book and then sitting here by myself we did have the folks who wrote in much obliged A pluses uh, but it's really only two people that wrote in what in the world Uh, but moving on thank goodness Philip K. Dick man in the high castle and again this book is nothing like the television show like not even close uh, and way better way way better uh, I would only say folks uh, if you had a difficult time there are lots of different languages in the book right and then you've got lots of different characters uh, it's a little bit convoluted because you got all these spies and people lying and all the rest of it so some of it you are kind of figuring it out as you progress through the novel so maybe be patient and again same thing that I said like hey you know we will sit around and watch I mean lame movies gremlins get out Marvel's Black Panther lame movies and we'll watch 5, 10, 25,000 times sometimes you might have to read the ISIS papers two or three times Urugu two or three times Man in the High Castle two or three times to really get it and especially a book like this because now you know everything you know how it ends you know all the characters and all that so now you go through the second time like oh you can really think about things like now what is the significance of the grasshopper lies heavy what is the significance of children having this broken English lots of little things like that that you can just kind of be thinking about as you move through the book but anyway we're all done our mistis day context of white supremacy always nice to finish a book second book that we have finished in the 2022 calendar year on the cows we are cranking right through them uh so let's see the number 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate the code again 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate let us see. I'll get our emails in. If folks have thoughts, concluding comments that they would like to get in before we wrap all of this up. Uh, let's see. I'm going back. Last week, uh, we had folks who wrote in and they just wrote their final thoughts about the book because they read ahead. We didn't get that far. So now I can go back and get all of their thoughts in. Uh, so one of our female investors uh, wrote in uh, talking about Juliana's character. Uh, it took her quite a while to realize what exactly did she realize about Joe that he was up to no good I'm not sure if he's a Nazi but he's definitely a race soldier definitely a Nazi supporter although he said he was born in Sweden 
he's repping Team Nazi and he was going to kill Abinson. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and she acted in such a crazy out of it manner. This lady swallowed two razor blades, then killed Joe and got in the car and drove away. And she seemed to get uncrazy pretty swiftly after the murder. The whole part was pretty weird. How did she change reality? Was it the pin used to clasp her dress? Was it the act of killing Joe that changed reality? I'm not really sure. It's ambiguous. Or did she go see the Abinsons in the alternate reality that Mr. Tagomi created or happened upon? I don't understand, and the text doesn't make it clear, drug addict white author. I wish I had more understanding of the ending. Apparently, many people found the ending a little bit confusing. Again, drug addict white author. I have so many more notes, but I am tired. Worked all night. Need to get rest. Reading and rest more important than watching television. Uh, let's see. We have other folks who wrote in... I'll get one other set of emails and then get the phone line. See, maybe folks have concluding thoughts that they would like to share as we're wrapping the man in the high castle up. And then I'll get my notes in as well. Uh, So different investor. He wrote in greetings, Gus. I found last week's discussion constructive. It wasn't even a discussion. It was basically me. Uh, The email and your comments improved my understanding. I am still learning. Ditto. I have found the TV show kind of boring. Me too. And apparently many cows listeners found the television show boring. And out of that full NBA roster of folks who wanted us to read this book, a number of them said, you know, Gus T, brother Gus, I found the TV show pretty boring. But I voted to read this book because I thought it would be better. And then I wasn't stimulated by the book either. Jaw hit the ground on that one. Gusty picking the book next week. Let's see. Found the TV show kind of boring and typical shoot 'em up chase scene affair. I only got through the first season. I have still only watched a grand total of about two and a half episodes. I watched episode one, season one, half of episode two, season one, and then I watched episode 7 just to make the sound clip that we heard last week all that I could take four seasons are you serious continuing with the notes chapter 15 number 1 another major section of the planet will be destroyed with its population for a deranged fanatic ideal suppose eventually they the Nazis destroy it all leave it a sterile ash they could they have the hydrogen bomb and no doubt they would. German. See there, you got to pronounce all that. Gotterdurmerung. Think that's it. Collapse of society. And what will that leave? That third world insanity? In other words, we will leave it to the savages. Number two. In front of a bar, two pretty black-eyed Indian prostitutes quarreling. A parting shot at Native Americans. The book, The Racism, is really ramping up at the end of this book. Number three. The Abinson house was lit up and she could hear music and voices. It was a single story stucco house with many shrubs and a good deal of garden made up mostly of climbing roses. And she started up the flagstone path. She thought, can I actually be there? Is this the high castle? I agree with Juliana. It seems like the house should be harder to get to. Maybe that is the point. 
hiding in plain sight. Man in the high castle doesn't even live in a castle. It's a one-story house. Number four. It's Chung Fu, Juliana said. In her truth, I know without using the chart too. And I know what it means. Raising his head, Hawthorne scrutinized her. He had now an almost savage expression. It means, does it, that my book is true? Yes, she said. With anger, he said, Germany and Japan lost the war? Yes. The author reportedly used the I Ching to write the book, meaning Philip K. Dick to write Man in the High Castle, which is reportedly true. Not sure how much it affected the writing of the book. Maybe the author just put that out there to increase the book's mystique. In any event, I found the ending positive. <laughs> Many people did. Echo, echo, echo. Maybe the author is asking the question, what does winning and losing mean if the end result is a world of continued chaos? I am fascinated by this book and pleased that it was included in the book club. That is all two of you. A book which imagines an alternate history that contains within it a book about a different alternate history and towards the very end and gives us a glimpse of true history with Mr. Tagomi. Because it deals with a lot of perception versus reality, what is true versus false, I think it fits right in with the challenges that we go through in terms of understanding racism, white supremacy daily we try to decipher reality and truth in a world dominated by deception and lies like Mr. Tagomi we often only get brief glimpses of truth and then die <laughs> I added that part uh, much obliged glad you enjoyed it until justice at gmail.com other folks have final thoughts why so many changes were made like now again now we are all done with the book. I said this book is short. We probably could have finished it in five weeks, but whatever. Um, wrapped it up in six, six sessions. The television show is four seasons, 40 hours plus of viewing. The part that I saw, it is one of the major changes that all of these, all of these like Nazi Germans and gun battles like it's like I don't even know who these people are. Who are these characters? None of this stuff is in the book. Where did this stuff come from? That looks like one of the main additions is they put lots in like people pointed that out like most of the book is set in the Japan chunk of the US. Most of the TV show is set in the German chunk and has all of these gun battles and all of it like what? added characters who are these people something to ponder on for folks who watch but again now most of the people that I, I think I don't even know anybody who's a cow's listener who said oh yeah I watched all four seasons and was excited to read the book I don't even know anybody who that's their view on the book let's see if we have folks who uh, have thoughts to share now that we are at the end uh, 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you have a final thought the man in the high castle uh, Henry in Chicago much obliged to hear from you did you watch the TV show while you're giving us your commentary did you watch it all of it little bit of it none of it yeah, I was like everybody else. I may have watched three episodes and I just could not get into it. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, uh, and, and I, and I tried to watch it a couple of years ago when, uh, close to the time when it first came out and it just, I, I just 
couldn't get into it uh, for some reason or another. But with the book, uh, the book is interesting. And, 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 and mind you, uh, I didn't vote for the book, but I did want to participate. Uh, unfortunately, scheduling conflicts, uh, you know, got me caught up uh, at the time you, you did the book. Uh, or during the book club, and, and in plus two, I, I got another scheduling conflict because in about 20 minutes, I got to go uh, spend some time with my daughter. So, <laughs> But um, I wanted to quickly assess because I have been uh, keeping up uh, in the archives and, and doing a little reading on it. But uh, my overall thought about the book is, um, uh, I guess from my perspective, it wasn't really well-written, uh, not in terms of like, you know, language use and, well, maybe some language use, but uh, it, it just, it was, it was kind of convoluted uh, in regards to, it's too many characters, not enough character development uh, in it. And I just, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it, it probably, it's an interesting topic of dealing with, you know, what if the Nazis and the Japanese, you know, won, uh, but um you know, I, I, it probably should have been a longer book. Should have been like the the series. It's like five seasons to kind of like explain everything. But uh, yeah, I think the same things that you had mentioned about you know the Japanese being the you know the non-white people who got a little piece of uh, uh, uh you know a little piece of earth uh, that they, they can rule over, and and the Germans are you know kind of like the the, the, the big superpowers uh, of the world. Um. You know, I I kind of find I kind of found a lot of uh, a lot of Lopet Stoddard rising tide of color kind of you know uh, uh, themes and references, uh, and obviously with uh, with uh, talking about the Slavs and you know and the Soviet Union because you know you're seeing now uh, in today's uh, news that the Russians are are you know are the our enemy number one and you know obviously they're you know they're they're white people as well but uh, I guess apparently they're a different type of white people uh, because um, I was looking over the uh, rising tide of color something we did in the book club as well and Russians are not considered the uh, as Lafayette Stoddard say the the pure Nordic white you know Anglo-Saxon because they were you know tainted by the Mongolians. And the and the Balkans and you know there's a, a there's a little bit of uh, miscegenation in their history so uh, this is why they get ostracized uh, this is why most Eastern Europeans get ostracized so uh, I kind of keyed in on on Lopper Stoddard and was looking back at that book on you know why Slavs and Russians were were hated and so uh, yeah for people who don't you know who who, who want to understand it racially. Uh, in return, in terms of just you know European white people, you know read that book. I think that was pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think the the, the book could have been better. It probably would have been better if it had been longer. But then obviously we would have been you know doing this longer. But yeah, it was uh, kind of convoluted. And then one more thing to um, the alternate reality of that novel, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. I think what he's trying to get at, uh, Philip K. Dick is trying to get at, is uh, the world is the world isn't too much different from what it is now. It's just uh, it's just a different uh, 
different rulers and different uh yeah different rulers and different uh people but they're running it the same way you know so um for me you know i think he's just trying to get at the theme and i and i agree that you know i don't think the world would be any different if you know nazis and japanese people you know uh won the one world world war Two. so uh and i've been trying to get at this theme of uh why he used the term the grasshopper lies heavy. And I guess it comes from Ecclesiastic um, in the Bible, uh, Ecclesiastic 12, uh, 5, I think. And I think the theme is, when I was reading over it, uh, it's about basically old age and, and non-mobilism. Because when you think about a grasshopper, you know, a grasshopper is a, is a creature that just, you know, moves around a lot. So when it's heavy, you know, it, doesn't move at all so i'm this is just my guess i think what he's probably getting from that you know from that metaphor the model of, of that novel is that um the world will be no different if you know if the nazis and the japanese lost so but uh that's all i have on my life putting in dad time bravo bravo much obliged, Henry in Chicago, who did not vote for the book and still shared repeatedly. Bravo. Uh, let's see. Uh, other folks who have commentary, uh, if you have a hand up, uh, retired firefighter in Florida who informed us last week when Gus was uh, struggling. No Wi-Fi, couldn't even figure out who Tojo was. Retired firefighter. Bingo, right there with the info. Uh, any commentary to share, sir? Greetings, everyone. Uh, I uh, I uh, I didn't uh, choose the book, uh, but uh, on did Doctor Welsing was the person who brought the attention of this book to you, right, Gus? Am I correct uh, in saying that? Uh, let's see. To be accurate, it is the other way around. Can put my chest out and be proud about that. Uh, and it wasn't even the book. It was the TV series and the promotion specifically where they had Nazi paraphernalia all over the subway. That's specifically what I call Dr. Welsing's attention to. She technically did not mention the book or suggest it. And when I spoke to her about it, it didn't sound like she had read it either. But that's all of this was just about the promotion of the TV series. OK. I, I mean, just just from the. uh the uh event uh that was called world war ii uh that in itself would draw my interest because it was a, a significant uh instance that took place in this world uh not so long ago to whereas there are still some people who are alive that were involved directly in it although they're dying at a alarming rate uh, by now, because most of them are in their 90s. If not all of them are in their 90s or the few that may be 100 years old or older. Uh, but so that, that, that would 
draw my interest because I did a lot of studying in that particular war in itself. And so with the, with the, with a book that's stating that, okay, well, what if I can see that? Well, that, that, that was, that was enough interest for me to, to attempt to participate. You know, just just off of that alone, not knowing anything about any television program, uh, anything like that, because uh, I probably wouldn't have would have stayed with a, a television program no more than about maybe two minutes after I observed on what was going on. Uh, but I would say this: if if it uh, whoever did read it and followed followed it, if it was if if it was something that they got out of the book that uh, enlightened them more on the subject of racism and white supremacy, I'm all for it. <laughs> Although it may, it may not have been something that I would have been interested in if someone else was interested enough to uh, take it for study and some sort of understanding and got something out of it that would help them, better help them uh, understand racism, what it is and how it works, then, you know, more power to them, you know, as far as that concern. Those, those were my thoughts on it. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. We shall see. Folks can let us know. They got, well, I guess Henry in Chicago said there were a few tidbits here or there to think about. Uh, in the text and we had a different investor she wrote in said she got to, uh, both of our investors who wrote in said that they got something constructive out of it so uh, at least a few folks uh, Gusty at minimum I didn't know who Tojo was so learned a few things uh, reading through the text uh, let's see the number again is 720 the code five six four. Nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. I will get my notes in as well. Uh, before I do, I'm not sure if I read it before. I kept saying grasshopper lies heavy. Henry uh, in Chicago did as well. This is in reference to a biblical verse. So, uh, and he was correct. Strive for accuracy, one hundred percent. Henry in Chicago tells us it's Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 5. Uh, also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home. Now I'm not a biblical scholar either, but at least folks and I guess they changes depending on man. You want to talk about words and language changing like ooh we. I'm sure if you check that Bible verse, you know, over time, I'm sure it would be a little different and words would change around here and there and if you talk to 50 people, you might get 50 different interpretations of what that means. But the general consensus of it the way I've been giving it is what Henry in Chicago said I've just been doing a book title uh, Chinua Achibe things fall apart you can try your best and whatever 
Uh, they were he was saying regardless of what happens with World War II, the Nazis in Japan could win. You still end up with a system of white supremacy. Africa's been genocided and all the rest of it. The United States wins. You still have a system of racism, white supremacy, and all the rest. I mean, how much, how different are things really? I think that's one of the big themes of the book too. Now, how different are things really? You got Asian people being called Tojo in the fake world and the real one. So how different are we? One to think about, I guess, folks, and think on the Bible verse. Uh, let's see. Getting to my notes for this week specifically. I took quite a few uh, notes this week, and I think most weeks. Uh, last week was the only one where I got thrown off when the Wi-Fi went out and I didn't get to write uh, in line. In fact, I'll make sure I go back to last week. Was there anything that I missed from last week that I thought was important? All of the references to specific areas of San Francisco I thought was really important uh, one because I was kind of geeked a little bit like oh man they're missing mentioning Seattle and you know so I've been at, hanging out the whole time we've been doing the cows uh, I did live in California so I am very familiar with many I think all of these areas Embarcadero and Kearney and all these different streets and things that they're mentioning in San Francisco these are real streets that exist right now you could go walk them right now hang out walk to the beat Golden uh, Golden Gate Park I get confused because they have Golden Gardens Beach here in Seattle but Golden Gate Park is in San Francisco and I've been to that as well it is beautiful but that's mentioned here too so I was kind of like oh man all the good times in uh, San Francisco if we have any Bay Area listeners they will recognize those names and in fact the Embarcadero Freeway isn't even there anymore that was mentioned last week that got knocked down with the earthquake in 89 if we have any listeners who are old enough or history buffs uh, to see they got lots of footage on all that disrupted the world series and everything but a part of that got knocked down uh, with the earthquake so they just demolished it but they talked about that in the alternate world with the Embarcadero Freeway uh, but that was from last week. Uh, anything else? Mostly, I think everybody was pretty good last week in Tojo and all the rest of it. How did he end up getting back there in the first place uh, in this alternate reality? Let's see. Moving forward to this week. Let's see. The. Tagami, so we pick up with him this week. He says he's trying to figure out what happened to Baines. So this is last week. That's when they had the shootout. Baines is a spy. He comes to give them the information. Oh my God, I would have given so much information about that. Full stop right there. So last week the shootout happens. Mr. Baines comes to give him this information. The Germans have Operation Dandelion. What a name for this plan that we're going to bomb Japan take over so that we have the total Aryan domination of the world one of the 12 or 15 how many ever folks it was who voted for this book one of them their specific stated reason for wanting to read this book is they wanted to see what a system of white supremacy looks like with Asian people in charge or sharing the leadership number one just following logic that is not possible if you had 
a so-called system of white supremacy with Asian people in charge, that would no longer be a system of white supremacy. That would be something else. Even if you had a system, what like what is described in this book, where white people have to answer to so-called Asian people and nothing can be done about it. They can come and smack them around and mistreat them and do all of this and nothing can be done about it because the Japanese people are the supreme power that is not a system of white supremacy you would have to call it something else now even with all of that what you see in this book what I saw Operation Dandelion all that mocking of Asian people that we saw throughout the book is way before we got to Tojo They had the whole scene uh, when Krauts von Mir, all these characters, when he's doing all that mocking uh, of Asian people, when they're talking about when we go to do uh, this activity, our rogue operation, we're going to go snatch Mr. Baines and the little silly Japanese people. And that's how he talks about them, little silly chinks. You know, they might get upset about this and whatever, but, you know, they'll bow and take it and whatever. That doesn't sound like Asian and white people working together in some sort of partnership of white supremacy. That sounds like racism, white supremacy, and whatever with partnering with these chinks and slant eyes like knock them, take care of Tojo and them too. Very familiar. I've heard that before. And that's throughout the book. We heard that from Robert Childen. Same thing, calling them monkeys throughout the book. I didn't see any sort of partnership. I just heard racism, white supremacy, the white people who were being dominated by the Asians. They were resentful and racist about it. And then the white people that were supposed to be partners with them, Nazi Germans, they're plotting to overthrow them. Where's the partnership in that? And then the name, that's what I said, language, Operation Dandelion. Are you serious? That's the sort of thing that white people do right now. What kind of name is that for this sort of operation? We're going to destroy the yellow people. The chinks will call it Operation Dandelion. Let's see. All right. So then we have the meeting. Uh, Air Rice, he comes to meet uh, Mr. Tagomi. He wants uh, them to hand over Mr. Bangs. Like, hey, you know, we, we got to get this guy. He's a spy. Uh, we want you to turn him over to us. And Mr. Tagomi is disgruntled about all this. You know, I, I hit you all are trying to bomb us. You got these thugs uh, coming in here. I got to shoot them up. He's still upset about that and feeling really guilty about that, that he had to kill uh, these SD uh, thugs. That's what he called. Remember last week, thugs and hoodlums uh, that came into my office, and everything. So he's still upset about all that. Rightfully so. Doesn't even give over Mr. Baines like, nope, not doing it. Y'all have got on my nerves. You coming in here and all this nonsense. Right. And even within this meeting, same thing that we've had throughout this text. Remember, we started off. Mr. Takomi deliberately mispronounced Robert Chill Dan's name. Now we get to the end of the chapter and we get Air Reese. He comes in. So look here, Mr. Tagori. Tagomi, man. Tagomi. Like, look here. And that, again, that's partnership. We're working it. That's, that's what it looks like to have Asian people and white people working together. Anyway, he says, yeah, I'm not not handing them over, you know, whatever. And the cigarette smoking, that's so important throughout the text. There's so many people that are smoking cigarettes and lighters where they have that whole scene uh, with 
lighters. Uh, we're talking about this one has historicity. You know, this is valuable because FDR was assassinated with this lighter in his pocket, which didn't happen. Uh, but he had this lighter in his pocket. So all of this on smoking and cigarettes and lighters. I think that's important, too. I think Dr. Francis Cress Welsing writes about that in the ISIS papers, talks about that a lot with white genetic annihilation. Phallic substitution, cigarettes and all that, why they called fags. Uh, so. Air Rice says the San Francisco Police Department summoned me, Air Rice said, blowing offensive smelling cigarette smoke around the room. And that's then he come and then even before that, there stood a slightly built, well-dressed, white, close cut, orange hair, shiny, black European leather Oxfords, erect posture. Wow, the wording. And, and then look at that erect posture and effeminate ivory cigarette holder. That's exactly what Dr. Welsing said. Cigarette. What did I just say? Fags. That's what they're called. Cigarettes. She wrote about that whole section in the ISIS papers, decoding the symbolism behind cigarette smoke and what have you. And then that the Nazi Germans are in all this effeminate ivory white cigarette holders, right? Phallic representation. Lots of Welsing moments right in there. Uh, let's see. This reminds me a lot of George Orwell, 1984, uh, as well with the language. We read that book way back first year, the book club on the cows. Uh, I thought it was interesting as well. So when Tagomi gets upset, like you're not calling me by my name, demanding I give all this white man to you all like whatever, get out of here. So he tells him uh, one like in the future, don't even come in and talk to me personally. <laughs> like I'm so disgusted with you all like just uh, keep it non uh, keep it written. We don't need to talk. I don't need to see you. Nothing personal. Write it down, cable, whatever it's going to be. Like, wow. And that, that's something that we talk about with racist man, racist woman, racist child. Go to the ATM. See if you don't have to minimize that personal in-person contact, right? Minimize some of the racism. Um, I thought it was important when Tagomi, he talks about I guess feeling guilty about all of this and then he uh, kind of lectures Rice Reese uh, he says uh, tells him to repent he says he uh, he's one he's about to have a heart attack and all this so I guess he does have some sort of heart attack and all this so he's trying struggling to breathe and all that and feels like his chest is uh, constricted he says he could not go on his chest had become constricted like childhood he thought asthma when angry at the old lady I thought this was kind of infantilizing and I've been saying that because it seemed like Mr. Takomi was having panic attacks and on the verge of a heart attack throughout the book and to me that's I mean you want to talk about effeminate and emasculated to me that's not very manly he's like the only person who feels some type of way about killing somebody and this is self-defense they broke into his office trying to kill him to get this you know white man uh, and he defends himself and feels so guilty about it that he has a heart attack may have died we don't know Nobody else, none of the white characters are guilty and shook up like Juliana has killed Joe and eh, whatever. The Germans have exterminated almost the entire continent of Africa. Eh, whatever. Nobody else, you know, is all shook up about that. Only Mr. Tagomi is, you know, on the verge of dying because of all this. Let's see. And he tells him to repeat, he says, uh, I am suffering. He told Reese 
who had put on who had put out his cigarette comes up again of malady growing these long years but which entered virulent from the day I heard helplessly your leaders escapades recited anyhow therapeutic possibility nil for you too sir in language of Goodman C. Mather if properly recalled repent like really white people are going to feel guilty about them practicing racism like you don't even see that in the book nobody Juliana she doesn't feel bad about killing Joe nobody feels bad about practicing racism Robert Childan doesn't feel bad about practicing racism he's trying to sex up Betty who is uh, married to Paul like he's trying to get this man's wife let's see uh, already got that like don't talk to me personally uh, and then Reese on the way out he threw his cigarette onto the floor take the foul stinking cigarette along Mr. Takomi said weakly but the council had turned the corner childish conduct by self so Mr. Takomi is kind of chiding himself again feeling guilty for how he reacted with this racist uh, Nazi who's coming in here blowing smoke around deliberately being all offensive and everything demanding give up this white guy give up this white guy man after they you know came in and tried to kill him basically uh, let's see And then he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he uh, children uh, pawned this old cheap piece of jewelry off on me. And it didn't even help to, you know, restore my balance or anything. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got Mrs. Afrikian. One of our listeners did ask whether the secretary for Mr. Tagomi was white or non-white. Uh, she is mentioned as being pale uh, in the text when she comes back and she's talking. Uh, to Mr. Tagomi, it said that she looked more pale. Or completely says, uh, "Be cool, be cool, Miss." Mr. Tagomi said, "The current times." Or back up, Miss Afrikian appeared. Her manner agitated Mr. Tagomi. She, the switchboard sent me. Be cool, Miss. Mr. Tagomi said, "The current times urge us along." He thought, "Sir, the German council is here. He wants to speak to you." She glanced from him to Mr. Ramsey and back. Her face unnaturally pale. They say he was here in the building earlier, but they knew you and stops there. I think she may be a white person. It doesn't say specifically. Now, that is a name. If Freakian, she doesn't have an accent and she is not speaking broken English. Those cues also kind of lead me to thinking that I think she might be a white person. Uh, and then the paleness of her skin. So I'm thinking she's a white person. If anybody else has any guesses about whether or not Miss Afrikian's character is white or not, feel free to share. Uh, let's see. Next, we got more mentions of Kearney Street. I've walked on that one in San Francisco. Uh, let's see. So Frank Fink is released from confinement. He doesn't know that this is because Mr. Dacomi doesn't sign him over to Reese, so they let him go. Uh, he's just like, wow, that's a miracle. I should have been dead. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then now, Frank Fink, he's supposed to be a Jew. Frank, he's supposed to be a Jew. He says, new life, he thought, like being reborn. Like hell is. What do I think? Or who do I think? Pray, maybe? Pray to what? He's supposed to be Jewish. Like, this should be automatic. That's even saying something, I think, in my view. Uh, let's see. And again, so much of this, you know, how much of this is really different? You have a different set of white people win. Like, are things really that different? They still have television, space travel. People have all kinds of food that they want. They can go shopping and get dresses and perfume and high heels and all the rest of it. Like, how different are things really? 
chapter 15, last chapter of the book. Uh, let's see. This whole section where Mr. Baines is kind of starting off, he's going back to Germany. Like, all right, so I, you know, gave them this information that they were going to attack Japan. Like, man, these Nazi Germans, white people, are crazy, he says he thought, but there's no reason to be optimistic. Probably the Japanese can do nothing to change the course of German internal politics. The Goebbels government is in power and probably will stand. After it is consolidated, it will turn once more to the notion of dandelion. And another major section of the planet will be destroyed with its population for a deranged fanatic ideal. Now, like that is an indictment of what it means to be white. That's what we do. Just destroy the planet, destroy the people, destroy the earth. Yurugu, we read that. Drugs, big part of that too. Uh, but I mean, Philip K. Dick, just <laughs> what an indictment of white. And in 1962, all the talk at the time of nuclear holocaust, we're going to blow up the world, and which is still the talk right now, World War III. Uh, and <laughs> I never even heard this term. I had to look it up. Gotterdurung, German term. And when I looked it up, the destruction of the gods, that's the uh, definition that I got when I pulled the uh, standard, I guess, default uh, definition from the laptop dictionary. German mythology, the downfall of the gods, the complete downfall of regime. Final Holocaust for everyone is how he describes it. And I mean, that is, in my view, racism white supremacy we're going to dominate everything or blow up the entire planet like michael bradley said that that's in planet of the apes another side which is pretty much this book same thing uh but that's planet of the apes we'll blow up the planet if we can't control it racism white supremacy or die and even with that term like destruction of the that's in yurugu against the creator that's why all this destruction and pollution and poisoning of the earth even their space programs if any other people because he's talking about that like man i wonder is this life off the planet philip k dip drug addict white man who is also interested in et and aliens if it's any creatures that are not on earth they won't be classified as white and we'll kill them too what does it mean to be white uh, so he says he cannot believe that even if all life on our planet is destroyed, there must be other life somewhere which we know nothing of. It is impossible that ours is the only world. There must be world after world unseen by us in some region or dimension that we simply do not perceive. Again, drug addict white man and Mr. Fuller talked about that. He said, hey, what is what are all their movies talk about? They're not going out into space to behave, practice justice, share technology make new homies get some new Instagram friends no Star Wars laser programs space station war games that's all the, that's in all the movies this Brad Pitt and everybody we're going out here it's going to be hostile invaders even E.T. will shoot him down too he, got them cross eyes and he's kind of dark too all of he Mr. Fuller talked about that they are all kind of dark let's see next but what does it matter even if Dr. Goebbels is deposed and Operation Dandelion is cancelled they will still exist the black shirts I even think that's significant we're talking about neo-nazis and they are known as the black shirts something about that seems like uh, projection 
uh, color envy, black shirts, black boots, the parti, the schemes, if not in the Orient, then somewhere else on Mars and Venus. That's again, we're going to be practicing racism, white supremacy. What does he say? Throughout the known universe. Doesn't matter where we go. This is what we are about. Domination and terrorism. That's what we do. Let's see. Again, I think this is the theme of the book, the terrible dilemma of our lives. Whatever happens, it is evil beyond compare. Why struggle then? Why choose if all alternatives are the same? I think that's a big theme of Philip K. Dick. And that to me sounds really druggy, too. Like if it if it doesn't matter what you do, things are going to work out the same and it's always going to be messed up and white people are just going to be terrorist over racists. Then we should all just sit around and get high. Talk about aliens and E.T., which a lot of people do. Uh, let's see. Ju- uh, wait a minute. Uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon, Juliana Frink reached Cheyenne, Wyoming in downtown business section across from the enormous old train depot. She stopped at a cigar store. Now, that's interesting, too, because the Nazis are smoking effeminate cigarettes, as said specifically in the book. Juliana Fring Frink stops at the cigar store. Dr. Welsing talked about the distinction between the two, right? Phallic symbol. One is big and black. The other one, they talked about it, ivory, white. And she killed a Nazi on the way there. And Juliana Frank said she thought there was something wrong with the Nazis sexually as to why they're behaving in this fanatic, terroristic manner. Remember that? Highlighted that way back in the book. Uh, so then we goes to the article. Uh, I thought it was important. Uh, it's consistent enforcement of the beauty standards, the beauty con game, as Pam called, that Juliana Frank is not a murderer. She's not suicidal. Uh, She's not crazy and drug addict and all the rest of it. She's an attractive white woman. She's not even blonde, but she's still an attractive white woman. Let's see. Indian prostitutes. Now, see, the Indian prostitutes aren't attractive. Couldn't be attractive Indian ladies out had a small bicker uh, while they were on their way. No, 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 no. No count, you know non-white niggerous street whores out you know some sort of alley fight real housewives type of a thing got to be something trifling with non-white people uh let's see and how non-white females are supposed to be represented hypersexualized constantly let's see oh i forgot speaking of hypersexualized i didn't watch the tv show but i did see some of the memes that got made in response to this show being on for four or five years. One of them that's not in the book. They had images in San Francisco uh, that were saying overthrow your Negro overlords. And it had a picture of a white man and a white woman together. And it had a black uh, armed soldier with a huge rifle and bayonet very much in a phallic threatening phallic manner with this huge bayonet and the bayonet was right next to the white woman and she's shrieking back and the white man is cowering even behind her like oh no what are we going to do he's going to rape us all uh, but yeah, not in the book at all but that is apparently in the TV show somewhere uh, that they are encouraging you know we got to get our act together the niggers are going to rape us all San Francisco uh, let's see hmm so Juliana is going to Hawthorne Abinson uh, to get 
the grasshopper lies heavy. You know, this book everybody is reading. Let me talk to the author who doesn't even live in a high castle. I think that's significant as well. Uh, and that sort of cross up uh, is in 1984 as well. Where in 1984, I think Winston finds out that it's like the man, the system, they actually uh, wrote the book that everybody thinks that they're reading for their liberation. And now we're like, nope, got you again, uh, where you always have to kind of be thinking in that sort of way. But it seems like there's uh, some kind of double cross here as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, I got a slight snicker. They talked about Juliana trying to call Frank uh, and the hotel manager had kind of been standing to make sure that he didn't get. Uh, charged for the call like wow this is so antiquated nobody has a cell phone like really uh let's see so we get again uh juliana when she arrives at the house uh oh yes of course her smile increased she had perfect she's talking about caroline uh, hawthorne's wife oh yes of course her smile increased she had perfect white regular teeth irish juliana decided only irish blood whatever that means could give that jawline such femininity. The Indian prostitutes weren't feminine. They're out brawling in the streets. This white woman with perfect white teeth because she's white Irish specifically. Uh, Let's see. So they comment on why he's not in the high castle uh, anymore. And apparently he got sick even being. And I guess this is supposed to be for protection whatever it is and he can't even stay there he gets sick being there which irony on top of irony uh hidden in plain sight uh one of our listeners uh wrote in uh and in fact it was written in the book the nazis some of the nazi leaders there in a high castle which is even more ironic if it's the man in the high castle maybe hawthorne is not the man lots to think about probably deliberately convoluted and drug addict white author uh, let's see. Oh, the one word answer I thought was great. So Juliana's having this exchange with Hawthorne and getting frustrated. Like, what do you mean? Went to the, you know, Oracle, the I Ching to get all the answers to this book and all the rest of it. So she says in your book, Juliana said, you showed that there's a way out. Isn't that what you meant? And he says out. He echoed ironically. Now that's kind of with the system of racism, white supremacy. Like really out. What would that mean exactly? Where? Ukraine? Poland? Brazil? Out? Where would you go? Canada? Let's see. Nineteen sixties Hawthorne says it repeatedly, like, wow, you cut a guy's throat to save my life to come all the way here. Like, wow, that's amazing to have a girl. That's quite something to have a girl tell you that a girl you never saw before. Like, wow, he would be like carted off and beaten in the era of Me Too for that alone. Oh, let's see. One of the folks, uh, like three people who is listening to the book said that in hearing all this talk about uh, mostly like Mr. Tagomi and other non-white people going to the I Ching to get consultation. And it's sounding very spiritual and mystical and not in the realm of logic that it sounded almost like a Ouija board type of a thing, like going to put your hands down and ooh, let's ask, you know, does he like me? And <laughs> just seeing what happened. And then when they describe this, where Juliana's going and asking why the I Ching wrote this book and all that, and it says that they gathered around her to form a ring. I was like, ooh, that does kind of have a Ouija board kind of feel to it. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
Ooh, man, oh, man. One of, I think, the more important lines in the whole book. So Caroline is seeming kind of upset about Juliana's presence, has seemed kind of that way the whole time, like a little apprehensive, a little anxious uh, about why she's here, what she's doing, what she's saying. So she asked, they get the questions about why this whole book was written and what's supposed to go on. Uh, and they said, so Japan and Germany lost the war? Yes. So you get all this like, what? What is this? What's going on? What? What? <laughs> what? What's real? What's going on? Drug addict, white author. Uh, and so let's see him pick up where Carolyn says, despite what you did for us or what you say you did, you wish I had never come into this house. Juliana said, if you saved Hawthorne's life, it's dreadful of me, but I'm so upset. I can't take it all in what you said and Hawthorne has said. How strange Juliana said. I never would have thought the truth would make you angry. Truth, she thought, as terrible as death, but harder to find. I'm lucky. I thought you'd be as pleased and excited as I am. It's a misunderstanding, isn't it? That whew, I can super relate to in a system of white supremacy racism thinking that other victims of racism would be excited about getting accurate, truthful information about white supremacy racism frequently. That is not the case frequently victims of white supremacy respond exactly the way that Carolyn responded anxious upset angry mad at you for revealing to the whoa 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 you're shooting the messenger is this true in a system that is primarily based on deception you do end up with a lot of people who are resistant to truth Dr. Welsing, she said the job of the physician help people to accept reality, truth, even when they are reluctant to do so. And racist, I mean, hey, terrorism can make you reluctant to accept a lot of things. But that passage right there, that one stuck out to me a lot. I suspect some other folks can relate to this one. Ooh, that's the end of the book. Last chat. Yep. Wow, I think uh, at least for me, this last chapter, chapter 15, really brought it home in terms of uh, the grasshopper lies heavy. Uh, and what, is, what does this all mean in terms of, number one, it can be very hard to even figure out what the truth is. And that sometimes in a system that is based so much on deception, and this book is like banned in certain parts of the country or not allowed, which I guess resonates for all the talk about banning books right now. And I haven't heard any talk about banning this book. They talked about banning the hate you give, which should be banned. And to kill a mockingbird and a few others uh, but all the talk about that that sometimes in a system of white supremacy it can be difficult to speak things truthfully so you might have to find a creative means like writing a book that is allegedly fiction to say some things that are truthful lots of aspects and as I said also Chinua Achibe things fall apart uh, that system of white supremacy that is the default that hey pfft, 
things can look a whole lot of different ways. If you have not eradicated the system of white supremacy, you will just have that. And maybe Europe is the super, or excuse me, maybe Britain is the superpower. Maybe France is the superpower. Maybe the U.S. is the superpower. Maybe Canada is the superpower. Like it could look a whole lot of different ways, but you'll still have individuals classified as white, dominating and mistreating. Very key point, at least for me, very uh, key point in the text of it all. Uh, I think I got all of my notes in. There's no other section. I think some of the popularity, I can see why a book like this would be really popular for white people because you got so many racial slurs uh, and what have you. And the white supremacy racism component is so flagrant uh, in so many different ways. And this is the sort of thing that can kind of be a motivation for, hey, we got to continue the practice of racism, white supremacy and, you know, not fall down in our vigilance or what have you can't end up like Mr. Children, like, my God, have that sort of thing, like got to maintain our vigilance. This is supposed to be fiction quote unquote uh where white people and even when they are relaxing they are still focused on the problem what their assignment is as a white woman white man white child what they are supposed to be doing on the planet whether they're a white man born in germany white man born in france the united states any era any time you are supposed to be dominating the tagories of the known universe and tojo lynched him said they lynched him and then deliberately we are gonna hide destroy his acid ashes so that there will be no burial spot no remembrance at all like are you serious <sighs> the lynching of tojo we may hear more about him later on this month uh let's see any other folks uh comments that they need to make sure they get in before we wrap things up with uh, Philip K. Dix, the man in the High Castle. Yes, sir. Uh, I uh, was I, what I thought what, what I think is interesting is the uh, if any uh, perception or thoughts on what 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 would have happened if the quote unquote axis powers were successful as far as from an imagined standpoint. Uh, I think some of the callers uh, had comments on it. Uh, and I just w what was going to uh, give some of, some of mine. Is it okay? Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, uh, I first of all, if something like that did happen, I think very quickly after the conflict was at its end, just like the Allied powers did, uh, they would the the, the 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 white components would negotiate with each other uh, on the on the true history, quote unquote, uh, it was the Marshall Plan. Uh, there would be some sort of plan to repair white people in England, uh, Australia, uh, uh, you know, all the different places where white people are highly populated at, that sort of thing. 
just like uh, the the Allied powers uh, criminalize a lot of the leadership of the Axis powers. The same thing would take place. The same thing would take would have taken place with the uh, with the Axis powers being successful. Uh, people like uh, Truman would be considered to be a war criminal. He probably would have been executed. Uh, the, his entire cabinet also would be uh, indicted and convicted uh, and, and punished in some sort of way. Uh, there'd be certain people like Curtis LeMay uh, who would be executed, uh, uh, George Patton, but then again, he died before the war was over with anyway. Uh, I didn't mention Roosevelt because Roosevelt died before the war was over with also. Uh, Churchill would have been killed also, although he did have some sentiments that were very similar to the Nazis. But because of the of the uh, some of the things that he allowed to, to take place with Germany, he probably would have been executed in the process. Uh, I think Japan... Japan's only uh, significance to the Axis powers was just holding, holding uh, some sort of uh, means until, until uh, the uh, the white global structure uh, decided to turn their direct attention on Asia, uh, and then they would have they would have taken that away from uh, Japan. They would have taken that away from Japan. Matter of fact, even Japan knew that. Uh, the the top military official, I think Yamato, that was the one who uh, organized the attack on Pearl Harbor, he studied in the United States, what is called the United States. He studied in the United States for years, and he understood about the the the, the powerful uh, means to for white people in this part of the world to manufacture and produce things very quickly in the resources that they had. And he understood that the only thing Japan can do was make a quick strike and then negotiate that sort of thing. Uh, and if you look around the world, as far as where white people are at, they would have, they would have, they would have, would have not, would have, they would have not settled for anything other than, controlling the entire earth just like they are right now you know so as everybody was saying it would it wouldn't have been that much of a difference uh i think it would have been it would, it would have been the toughest thing would have probably would have been was was uh the idea of refining racism white supremacists but then again in reality all of the the uh, white supremacists on this on the planet Earth are actually unified in the refinement period of that we're that we're in, in under the global system of racist white supremacy. So it eventually would have took place. It probably would have been a little bit slower because that was the whole uh, disagreement between Adolf Hitler and the other white people who were, you know, leaders in the world. In a, in a, in a world that was controlled by white supremacy anyway. It was the idea of, hey, you don't have to be that, that hard on, on these people. We already have them under control, you know. And he kind of like disagreed with that in a sense. And, and so 
the argument went from just politics to uh, war. But anyway, just my thoughts. I would have definitely would have read a book and watched a, a movie if it was along those lines. <laughs> that's that's it. Thank you. Who knows? They got so many streaming platforms and what have you. Like somebody might be pitching a pilot for just such a movie or a television series where, hey, we will do retired firefighters version of what this would have looked like. And, you know, we'll get uh, get Denzel Washington, you know, get a part for him and a few other folks line them up like, yeah, they might roll that out coming in autumn of 2022, especially if we get the Ronin, we have to be locked down again. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> they might be pitching that one real quick. Uh, but I think right in line with what you said in terms of the things wouldn't look that different. I think so many fo- like myself, not being World War II buffs, not knowing who Tojo is and the rest of these folks, um, there were many what they called Nazi sympathizers who were a part right. of the allied powers, meaning people who are in the so-called United States where you're supposed to be fighting against Germany and it's like hey these are our homies I'm really with them Hitler's my dude we studied together we got the same goal we don't like the niggers either <laughs> like it was lots of that not just here lots of white uh, excuse me Nazi the German, bun, the German bun was prevalent right right in the UK and throughout there's lots of that so I mean with all of that even if the Nazis had one you have so many white people like hey these are our homies like what do you mean <laughs> what are we we were on the wrong side to begin with like right on <laughs> like and you can get books like operation paperclip written by a white woman that is not fiction uh that talks about you had so many nazi sympathizers there's a reason they didn't even go after uh when they had the nuremberg trials and all that they let a lot of those nazis go it's not like they had tons of you know, Nazi lynchings. We're just rolling people out and get these executions and you all are going to pay and you did another like, no, they let a lot of those folks off. There is a reason for that. Operation Paperclip. These are our white brethren. Like, matter of fact, I don't even have that much of a problem with what you all were doing. In fact, why don't you come over here and continue some of the research that you were doing and what have you. Like, we are totally cool. We'll hook you up and set you up with housing and whatever you need. Operation Paperclip. That's one race war dr gerald horn in fact in that book specifically it talks about uh many times talks about tojo in fact with tojo they had the uh the trials where they convicted him of being a war criminal is we're not even going to call you general hideki tojo we're not going to call you by that title because japan doesn't have a military anymore so you're no longer a general tojo they got video of them saying this, all that deliberate disrespect of title that was in the book and calling people by their wrong name, like of them saying it. Even that, like, did they take Germany's military away? Why people go in and smack them and like, you know, you caused all this mischief and ah, vanquish you. Did that happen with Germany? I don't think so. I could be totally wrong. They set me straight. But I mean, that type of thing. That's what no. I mean. Like, how different we got to see. Got to know. That's what I thought. I've never heard uh, Mr. Fuller point that out. They, they, Gus, they literally, they literally took a white, a white general, Douglas MacArthur, and he ruled Japan for at least five years and totally transformed Japan 
to a uh, culture that is politically that is white uh, white made. Douglas MacArthur. He 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 even had they 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 negotiated in saving the life of the emperor, but he was held up. He was held up for those five years inside of his castle, his quote unquote castle. He was under house arrest. <laughs> the person that prior to prior to uh, Japan uh, being defeated uh, was considered to be God to the Japanese people. Uh, and it, literally a white male by the name of Douglas MacArthur ruled Japan for at least five years. What it means to be classified as white. We are supposed to dominate everything, everybody. Uh, there's lots of records of that. We have one white person get to go and rule a whole chunk of of land and all the non-white people there you can be a god a king do whatever you want to do and smack them around they can be upset about it and there's nothing they can do about it they don't like it that's you know tough tough titty on you tojo shut up teach you all be out here talking all this that is what domination looks like and again they didn't do that nazi germany all the mischief that they caused nope keep their military and like i said didn't even punish a lot of the folks who were war criminals and should have been punished. White people who should have been punished uh, for their misconduct. But uh, incidentally, one of our folks wrote in while we were doing all our discussion. I said Operation Dandelion and the importance of terms. Uh, one of our investors, she wrote in. She said, I think it was called Operation Dandelion because dandelions are seen as weeds and the Nazis wanted to exterminate the yellow weeds in their garden the flowers are you well, I guess yeah it depends on where you catch them at me being uh, not a biology major but I guess the dandelions they are yellow right they have I guess the little white seeds you know you go out and blow them but if you catch them the other times they're yellow it's like oh yeah and they are weeds some people may think that they are you know pretty and sign of spring or whatever they are weeds getting rid of the weed the yellow weeds Apropos, excellent point. Um, metaphor, yeah, metaphors, metaphors. Language, very important uh, in this one. I would say that's a theme generally in most of the sci-fi uh, books in terms of language being very important. Uh, I mentioned that Planet of the Apes. The monkeys not only start talking and doing sign language, and that's the Planet of the Apes franchise like for the past 60 years like that's the book and that's every single movie the TV show like 20 at this point all of them that's the theme not just the monkeys now have great communication white people's communication has regressed sometimes they can't talk at all or it's very like rudimentary communication or they're losing the ability to talk uh, but that's a big part of it and that's even in uh, <laughs> I'm reading the running man goofy sci-fi which we will not be reading on the book club but I'm reading The Running Man just because that goofy movie has been on television like 80 billion times uh, in life so I said oh I, I didn't even know there was a book that this was based on that's incidentally written by Stephen King the language component is there too he talks about being uh, in a society where 
uh, illiteracy has skyrocketed and uh, nobody reads. People can't read. Nobody reads. They just sit around and watch TV all day long. Hmm. 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 But that's the running, man. It's not quite how the movie plays out, but that's like first two, three chapters of the running man that that's how they set the scene for how bad things are in the year. Like 2025, I think it's sometime like still a little bit ahead of where we are right now, but everybody just watches television, which is free. And in fact, they don't just, it's not just that there's high illiteracy. They kind of give you the side eye. If you're reading like, police might have to run up and ask you if it was like, Hey, you know that book there? Hmm. Kind of suspicious character you read, Negro. But that's the Running Man. If anybody wants to do more sci-fi and share a note with Gus T. Stephen King. Anywho, uh, any other comments, folks, need to get in about the man in the High Castle? That too, I think, is really important because I mean that is that's what it is. <laughs> that's the way all of the flagrant racism, white supremacy in this book. And that phrase was so was way more common uh, at the time that he wrote this book. I would submit in the 1960s than it is now. And him hanging out with the black Panthers in the, the East Bay area of California. Oh yeah, that is super delay. And you can look at the book title that I posted for the episode today. Many of the copies of the book, that's how it's written. It'll be uh, three lines. The man next line in the next line high castle very deliberate who is the man again welsing moment you already know Uh, i think there's lots uh, that one can learn about white supremacy racism but i probably would not recommend this book to someone unless i knew like they are a reader they either have knowledge of world war ii they are like world war ii buffs like that's their subject area or they would be willing to invest the time to pick up a little bit of knowledge. And even some of the study guides and such for this book, they have like like maybe a two, three page summary of like World War Two tidbits, like just enough of the basic information that you would need to grasp what's being talked about here. And obviously you can do, you know, a lifetime's worth of study to get in more. Take do Dr. Welsing, make a trip to, to Nazi Germany or Germany to get some some more details. But I probably would not recommend this to someone unless they're like, I am about reading. If it's someone where they really do not enjoy reading and they're not someone, they're not going to stop in Tojo. Who is this? And do all that. I probably wouldn't recommend it to them. Um, in fact, even if it's you're trying to learn about Nazi Germany, I wouldn't recommend this book for that purpose either. Cause I feel like you need to know and have some understanding of Nazi Germany to even really grasp and appreciate what's happening in this book. So I would say get like Gerald Horn's book, Race War. Maybe get that and read that first. And then you'll already know who Tojo is and have an understanding. And then you can get a book like this uh, and read it. Um, yeah, I, I was. I can't even connect it to the TV show because I don't know anybody who has watched the television show in its entirety. So, yeah, I'm not. And, and the TV show is so not like the book that, yeah, I wouldn't even know how to relate the two. Um, if I met somebody, if I know any folks who are interested in studying counter racism, who enjoy reading fiction, maybe enjoy sci-fi or World War II buffs, this would maybe be a book that I would recommend, but that is like a really specific niche. And I don't even know any, maybe one person who's, who's in that niche. Other than that, like, yeah. Anywho, back to uh, nonfiction starting next week. 
Uh, I'm deliberately delaying, even though I'm like 95% certain that I have already picked the next book. I'm just giving myself time because sometimes I'll see a book between like now and like Tuesday and be really excited and it'll be even more relevant to what's happening right now. Uh, so I'm giving myself a few days at least to just make sure nothing else pops up between now and Tuesday. And then I'll uh, announce what the next book will be, uh, which I've been excited for for a couple of weeks um, for lots of reasons. But, yeah, we'll chat about all that uh, Saturday, Monday, one of the two. Uh, anywho, everybody satisfied? Didn't see any other hands? You're not going to reveal it? Probably Saturday compensatory call in, like I said, just to make because I don't want to do this is the book that we're going to read. And then I see something today or tomorrow I'm like, ooh, changing my mind. That way I won't have anybody who's, you know, went to get the book or anything like that. Like I can be definitive. This is the book that we are starting next Thursday by Saturday or Monday. I'll be pretty, pretty um, definitive. So I will share and let everybody know then. All right. Rands will assume everybody satisfied got in their thoughts and such uh, I guess if folks listen to the archives uh, if that is the case hopefully they learn something you can drop an email with a thought or two maybe if somebody talks to Mr. Fuller they can ask did you read this book I don't know that he reads uh, fiction but he is a World War II buff I could I bet he would know who Tojo is I could see where maybe he might, you know, enjoy or at minimum has heard of this book in all the years and everything that he's that's that he's been around and being as studious as he is. I suspect he would have heard of Philip K. Dick in this title, even if he didn't read it. But this is and like as he's got his whole film list, the greatest generation and all that like this. Bang. This is right there. Published right in the middle of all that. Like this is. uh Yeah. If you all don't at minimum next time that I speak to him, I'm going to ask, like, did you read this book? Are you aware of this year, this year title? Just to see what he says. Anywho, uh, we will be here tomorrow for Neutralizing Workplace Racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we will try to make sense, solve problems, things that are happening in the workplace for non-white people, victims of racism. And then, as stated, compensatory call-in will be this weekend. Lots of talk World War Three, as folks have been talking about for the past two weeks or so. We will have more commentary on that as well. Uh, that's it. Much obliged for all of uh, say, oh, for the handful of folks uh, who joined us uh, for the text. Hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, again, if you are looking to learn more about World War Two, a very important chunk of world history. Uh, a race war, Dr. Gerald Horn, great book. And that book is all within the context of white supremacy, racism about uh, Japan's involvement specifically. And then, like I said, Operation Paperclip, like lots of white people like, hey, whatever. White people are white people. We are all in line. The Nazi Germanys, they didn't do anything to us. We are cool with them. That is a great one to get. Operation Paperclip. That also like Operation Dandelion. Real program. Wow, why would you pick a name like that for what that program entailed? Racist man, racist woman, and language. Sobriety would be breast. We had all that drug use, right? Uh, in the book, they got to the end with Hawthorne's party and everybody's drinking and everything else. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, in addition to being sober, if you are out and about, it is all about 
safety. Uh, if you see somebody being hostile and rowdy in public, you should be thinking this person may be armed with a gun that is not a fake. This person, in fact, may have an entire SD entourage. If you didn't leave your house prepared to kill and or die, it is all about vacating the area. You can call enforcement officers, whatever you need to do as you are exiting. If you're in a vehicle, you're buckled, sober, not on the cell phone. We need all of our attention to be mindful about what is happening around us. And we are trying to do the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. No name calling so much of that in this book right from the beginning to the end. Name and specifically individuals looking to flex their domination over someone by deliberately name calling. That is one small thing that we can do to minimize conflict with other victims of racism. No gossiping as well. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's brother. Your problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>